Well, isn't that's it? That the Boston accent is supposed to be influenced by the Irish, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's an insult. Kidding for any Bostonians. Don't use that clip. Hi everyone, welcome back to Speak Lord Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow on uh, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Uh, today I am joined by Brother John Mary, who is a Carmelite friar. Thanks Welcome. for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, so maybe just to start off, we'll go right back to the very start. And uh, what was your your upbringing like? What was your experience with the Catholic faith um, growing up? Yeah, I mean, I was raised in a, in a decently Catholic family. Um, we went to Mass every single Sunday, and we said the blessing before meals and things like that. But um, I don't remember so much discussing with my family about vocations or like even thinking that that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely did not foresee myself sitting here today yeah. uh, wearing the Carmelite habit uh, when I was growing up. But I do see now more than ever kind of looking back how the roots of my faith are really planted in a strong way through my family, through my parents. and. I was really taught the importance of prayer and, and remaining faithful to the Lord. So mm -hmm. there, was, there, were, there were good beginnings, I think. That's awesome. So um, when did you really start to take it more seriously then? Like at what, was there like a, a major like, turning point? Was it something gradual? Or? Yeah, I, I think there were a few turning points. Um, the first one being my confirmation. And it was interesting because I remember at the time I was you know, going through the classes for confirmation. I think I was a sophomore in high school and I had no desire to be there. Um, and basically my, I was going because my parents expected me to go mm -hmm. and that's what I had to do in order to get confirmed. And, um, but I, re I, I see again, kind of in hindsight, looking back how that was a real turning point in my life and how that was kind of the beginnings of my, my reversion to the faith. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that I always uh, share with people like the, the sacraments are real. That yeah. grace is real. Like even if we don't, I mean, I was was there getting confirmed only because I had to, not because yeah. I had any desire. But yet, like God's grace was working in me at that time, mm -hmm. and that was kind of a huge turning point for me, where I began to really take my faith more as my own mm -hmm. and uh, take my faith more seriously. And then stemming, I think, from that grace was uh, once I went away to college, and that is really where my kind of conversion happened. Um, for the first time in my life, I met a priest who was like young, younger and someone I could relate to really. Mm -hmm. um, actually, it's funny because I grew up with priests who were from Ireland. Oh, really? Yeah, older oh. priests at my parish. And so I remember when I was young, I thought that the way that they spoke with their Irish accent was just that that was a priest accent. <laughs> I didn't know that was an Irish accent. I thought, I thought that all oh priests goodness. spoke that way. That's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so yeah, once I met like younger a younger priest and realized like, I could see myself in, in their shoes. Mm -hmm. um, and that really did a lot for my faith, I think. And on top of that, really just began, um, yeah, really taking my faith as my own and saying uh, that this this is something that I'm choosing and that I want um, and I want to learn more about mm -hmm. and grow in. That's really awesome. I really like what you said too about the sacraments. Like sometimes we don't always fully understand um, or realize like what's happening, but there's a real grace and a real power there. Right. Yeah, even when we don't feel it. And, yeah. And that's, I think, yeah, it can be hard. I think especially if we receive the sacraments often, like receiving, you know, even our daily communicants, sometimes mm -hmm. you, you can, you don't feel like it's it maybe special every single day, um, but to realize that God's grace is still working through mm -hmm. that. Definitely. Um, 
so did you start then thinking about like a religious vocation in college um, at that time or did that come later? Yeah, it was, it was when I was in college. Um, it's very interesting because, again, like growing up, I never would have con- even thought in my wildest dreams about being a priest or being religious. And it just was not even on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to earn a lot of money and, you know, have a big house and a nice car and like the perfect family. And, all, you know, I had all these plans yeah. mapped out in my mind of what I wanted. And um, I never considered, like, well, what does God want me to do? It just, again, it just like was not on my radar. Mm-hmm. And so once I was in college, that was really... Um, where that turning point began. It was really actually in Lent. Um, it would have been about probably about 10 years ago now. Um, instead of like, giving up chocolate or something like that, like I've always done in the past, I decided one Lent, I don't, don't know what inspired me to do this, but I just said, I'm going to try to pray for 15 minutes every single day. And so I, I set out praying consistently for like the first time in my life. Um, I mean, you know, growing up, like I said, like, you know, I'd say, prayer before I go to bed or before a meal, but I yeah. never like really had a, a solid prayer life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I set out praying for the first time. And um, uh, the beginning is like very difficult because you're sitting there, you're like, when is this 15, 15 minutes seems like an eternity? <laughs> I've said everything I want to say to God in five minutes. And then I'm like, now, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really in that time of prayer during Lent, that was the first time that I began to ask God, like, what do you want me to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And kind of searching for that answer instead of really seeking what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, sometimes we can get carried away and caught up in all our plans and then forget to yes. to really stop and ask maybe where God is calling us. Right, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it was around that same time um, <clears throat> that I was really learning more about my faith as well. Mm-hmm. So um, in college, I started dating a, a Protestant girl, very faithful Protestant, and so she wanted, she hadn't found a church home in our, uh, in my college town. So, um, she began going to mass with us sometimes with me and my Catholic friends. And mm-hmm. so she had all these questions like, well, why do you Catholics do this? Or why do you believe these things? And, um, I really didn't know the answers to any of them. Yeah. And so I began doing a little bit of research, began reading things on the internet mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, asking questions to my priest and campus minister and began reading the Bible and the catechism and things like that. And uh, slowly over the period of like a year, I probably talked with her about like kind of all the major teachings of the Catholic Church and mm-hmm. began to learn for myself for the first time, like why I believed the things that I did. Mm. Um, and the more I learned, the more I really fell in love with my faith and fell in love with Jesus. Um, and so that was a real turning point. I began kind of going to daily mass and I joined a uh, Bible study and going to adoration and things like that. So. Um, it was really through that that relationship, I think, that played a big part in leading me to um, to my vocation. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think sometimes when we have to uh, defend our faith, that makes us so much stronger. We really have to know what we're talking about and, yeah, right. really have to dive deep. With that. Yeah. yeah, and there's something about vocalizing our faith, too, which mm-hmm. I think is, like, why we, why we say the creed, you know, at, at Mass on Sundays. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily even to just remind ourselves, um, but also there's in vocalizing something you really make it your own and you like grasp it as this is the part of who i am and in this in the the, the process of saying it mm-hmm. and i think that was important for me as well to to realize what it was that i believed and why i believed it mm-hmm. so that lent then when you started spending your 15 minutes every day in prayer mm-hmm. um did you start to feel like god was calling you to a religious life at that time and yeah what that, that was, was like yeah that was kind of the beginning um 
part of it was I had, in college, I felt like I had everything like I'd always really worked for my entire life. Mm-hmm. It was like, I finally achieved, you know, all the, you know how it is growing up, you, you have these goals and you work so hard in school to, to achieve these things. And then here I was in college, it was like, you know, finally I have this, this great girlfriend and, uh, you know, full scholarship and I'm living in this brand new dorm and, uh, you know, getting good grades and I was in the marching band and I was mm-hmm. racing on the triathlon team and I just like all these things going for me. Um, and yet, like, I still felt like there was something missing mm-hmm. and, I was like, well, what could be missing? Like, this is everything. You have everything, yeah. Right, I have it all that I really have wanted. Um, and yet, yeah, there was still that void. There was, like, something was missing there. And it was in that time of prayer that I began to see, like, what it was that was missing. Um, I mean, it was primarily that relationship with Jesus and the desire really to do His will in my life. And, um, yeah, so once I began sitting in prayer and listening for the first time in prayer, mm-hmm. that's really what it was. Um, so like I said before, I have those 15 minutes. I've said everything that I want to say in five minutes. What do I do for the last 10 minutes? And so I was forced to sit and like listen mm-hmm. to God and to, to allow him to speak to my heart. And it wasn't like, you know, I was hearing voices, God yeah. speaking to me or anything like that. But it just began as like this deep desire in my heart uh, to serve God and to serve his church. And that was really the beginning of, uh, of my vocation. Mm-hmm. That's really great. So what kind of practical steps did you start to take then? Did you yeah. did you immediately start looking into um, like different orders or diocesan yeah. or what, what mm-hmm. happened next? Yeah, actually, originally I was looking into different religious orders. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I, I never really, growing up, I never had any contact with religious. There aren't, there aren't too many religious in the South. And so mm-hmm. my experience of, of um, the church was really through through diocesan priests. Yet, at the beginning, there was something about religious life that was appealing to me. I think the communal aspect um, was really appealing to me. And um, so that was originally the direction I looked. I visited uh, a community and realized that that wasn't where I was called. And so eventually, I kind of fell back on diocesan priesthood, thinking like, oh, God must be calling me to be a diocesan priest. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... uh, yeah, so that's when I, I really took the practical steps. After my sophomore year in college, I uh, discerned to enter a seminary. And that was a very, actually, that was a difficult transition. Mm-hmm. Um, leaving behind all those things that I loved so much yeah. and uh, going away to seminary. But it was a real, uh, real moment of grace, too, for me. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, I can't imagine that must be really yes. difficult. Yeah, to, to let go what seems like your whole life. And, yeah. 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 yeah, and especially I didn't have I didn't know what seminary was really, mm-hmm. and I hadn't met a seminarian, and so I always joke that I was the first seminarian that I ever met, uh, because I remember going meeting with the bishop and getting accepted, and I was like, I don't know what a seminarian is or yeah. what they do, but now I am one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that was kind of a scary time, and then also the first um, yeah my first two years in seminary were seminary were hard because all of my friends were still back at school mm-hmm. they were living you know the great college life and here I was kind of uh, missing out some on that mm-hmm. um, and and in answering God's call was um, yeah it was hard at first mm-hmm. so you entered seminary then you were um, in the diocesan seminary for how long for four years four yeah. years mm-hmm. um, and did you like did you ever really like settle there obviously you didn't stay so yes. <laughs> um, like did you have doubts like 
throughout or how yeah. how did you come to find the Caramelites basically from right. that point? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I actually remember now looking back, it's, this is really funny, but it was my first week at the seminary, we had a retreat and I remember during that retreat, like looking up on my phone religious orders. I was like, I'm just like one week here and already I like that. Wow. And I realized too, at that time, it was kind of like a transitional thing. You know, I was struggling with the transition, being away from my friends and entering this new atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think God was speaking through that. And so I had four like amazing years in seminary. I learned so much about myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really grew in my relationship <clears throat> with Christ. I learned how to pray. Um, yeah, so it was a, a very positive experience for me. Um, but similar to the experience I had in college, I think there was still like this something that was missing. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, yeah, through continued prayer, I began to realize like that perhaps God was calling me to a, a different way of life than mm-hmm. Gnosticism priesthood. Um, I began to see that the extent that I felt called to a life of prayer wasn't really compatible with the Gnosticism priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, Gnosticism priests are are very mission-oriented, um, and thank God for that. We need them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. um, But they're very, yeah, they're very focused on their apostolate, mm-hmm. and I felt this great tension within me because I felt this desire uh, for more time for intimacy and prayer with God, mm-hmm. and um, realized, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that that was really God calling me to a religious vocation. Mm-hmm. So did you, <clears throat> when you left um, the seminary, did you immediately um, enter the Carmelites uh, Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, I had already kind of adopted Carmelite spirituality as, as my spirituality when I was in Dossus and Seminary. I began reading um, like St. Therese, Story of the Soul, and uh, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, and I just really fell in love with their spirituality. Mm-hmm. It just resonated so much with my heart, um, this desire for, for union with God and this kind of like unwillingness to let anything stand in my way, the mm-hmm. radicality of that Carmelite call um, for that intimacy and this heart-to-heart communication with God in prayer um, just attracted me so much. And so at first I thought it was kind of, God was calling me to have this Carmelite spirituality within the context of diocesan priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was after the fact that I began, it became stronger. And once I became, once it became clear that God was calling me to a religious vocation, it just was totally clear to me, mm-hmm. like, oh, the Carmelites. And at the time, I never met a Carmelite friar. I didn't even know that we had Carmelite friars in the United States. Yeah. Um, but I just knew it had to be Carmelite. It was made very, very clear to you. Yeah, yes. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's like putting on a, you know, it's like putting on a shoe that fits perfectly. Mm. And it's like before you're wearing a shoe that doesn't quite fit perfectly, and it's a little, you know, like this is close but not it. Mm-hmm. And then once you get that shoe on, you're like, oh, this is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what it was like for me, like entering Carmelite. That's awesome. So you, you talked about being attracted to the Carmelite spirituality. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yes. what that is? Yes, uh, yeah. I would love to. So, um, well, maybe maybe I should, can ch- share first a little bit about like the history yeah, of the Carmelites. Of course, yeah. And because um, that's it can actually be a little complicated too. Because I'm technically a discalced Carmelite, so there's two main branches okay. of Carmelites, um, and so the Carmelites originally were founded uh, around the end of the 12th century. Um, on Mount Carmel as hermits, and uh, eventually they were forced to move to Europe, and they became mendicants. So that mendicants are like Dominicans, Franciscans, um, Augustinians. It's a it's a branch of a kind of religious orders mm-hmm. um, who really see their their mission as they live in 
um, in houses and like move around and go out for their ministry. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of in contrast to like a, a monastery of monks where they stay in one place their entire life and uh, they're called to serve there. Uh, mendicants are called to go out, kind of as the apostles are called to, to go out and to serve people. Um, so Car- the Carmelites on moving to Europe, they kind of took that transition from being hermits mm-hmm. to being mendicant friars. Okay. Um, and so then around the, in the 16th century, that's when St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila come on the scene. And they're the ones who reformed the Carmelite order and founded the Discalced Carmelites. And uh, Discalced means, it's, it's, uh, in Latin it means like unshoed. And so, uh, which, hold up, my, my sandals, <laughs> but... <laughs> so uh, at the time it was kind of a, a symbol of like the simplicity of life, the poverty, the kind of returning to the roots, this idea of like being on a journey. Um, and so they, there were discalced Franciscans, there were just other discalced groups as well. But it was kind of this reform movement at the time in the 16th century. And so uh, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of, Teresa of Avila founded the Discalced Carmelites during that time. Right. Um, and yeah, so then from that kind of flows our charism of like who we are mm-hmm. uh, and what we're called to be in the church. And uh, really it's about, uh, our life is about intimacy with God and particularly through prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so prayer is really the foundation of our life. It's our primary apostolate. It's our primary mission in the church. Um, as St. Therese says, she says that uh, she, when she kind of found her vocation, she said she was called to be love in the heart of the church. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, I mean, in some ways it's the call of every Christian, um, but particularly as Carmelites, that's what we see our mission to be. Um, yeah, love in the heart of the church. And so that time of prayer is like really our main focus. Mm-hmm. And then from that kind of overflows all of our other apostolate. Um, so we see a lot of our mission as Carmelites to be to to walk with people in their spiritual lives, to deal with the interior life, uh, whether that's through giving retreats or spiritual direction, mm-hmm. confessions, that's that sort of work. Um, we also do some work with like publications, sharing uh, the teachings of our saints with the world. And so, yeah, but all of it overflows from our life of prayer. Right. And that's really the focus of, of who we are that's and awesome. what we're called to. Mm-hmm. So would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, prayer then in more detail, and especially during Lent this time, the yeah. importance of prayer? Yeah, yeah, I think I mean, prayer is something that's so, it's so simple and yet it's so difficult at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, that's something that I've experienced, even in my sharing my story here, it's like something I've experienced in my own life, is like um, this great desire for, for that, uh, but also the struggle with prayer mm-hmm. and, how, and how difficult it is. So as I mentioned, like our, our charism is really, concerned with prayer and uh, the foundation really of our life as Carmelites is built on these two hours that we have of prayer each day. So we do an hour of silent prayer in the morning and an hour of silent prayer every evening. And that's kind of the bedrock of our vocation. It's like the constant thing of our vocation. And um, and yeah, like I said, from that then overflows everything else in our lives. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think those two hours of prayer are really like the greatest blessing of our lives, but they're also like probably the greatest struggle of our life too. Mm-hmm. Um, those hours of prayer can, can be very tedious at times. They, sometimes it's, it's overflowing with great graces and other mm-hmm. times it's just dry and desolate. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but I, I, I realize um, now and looking back at my life how important I think constancy in prayer is. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned, even the roots of my vocation of like 
deciding to spend 15 minutes a day in prayer for the entirety of Lent, um, that was one thing, is like how choosing to make that time every day for prayer, even if it's starting out very small, just like five minutes of prayer or 15 minutes of prayer, um, that's something that I've learned in my vocation, is having that stable time is important, because prayer is really just it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, what St. Teresa of Avila, she says that prayer is nothing other than taking time to be alone with him who we know loves us, mm-hmm. or that it's conversation with a friend. And that's really all that prayer is. But like any relationship, we have to commit to it and give time to it. Mm-hmm. And um, that I think that constancy is very important in prayer. Um, and then another mm-hmm. aspect that I learned in my own vocation and I'm still learning very much is learning to listen. Um, same as, you know, in, a, in another relationship, you have to learn to listen to the other, allow them to speak to you. Mm-hmm. And especially in a relationship with God, um, God, God knows everything. God is all powerful and, um, like we should be doing mostly just listening to him because yeah. he is the one who's like speaking, uh, mm-hmm. in prayer. And so learning to be silent, uh, which is so hard in our culture, just overwhelmed yeah. with noise mm-hmm. and, um, I don't just mean obviously exterior silence, but like learning to be silent in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go and sit and try to be silent for five minutes and you'll just, your imagination will be running wild, uh, with cares and anxieties and distractions, and it's really hard to be silent and just listen. And that's, I think, is just so, so key. And I think, yeah, Lent is the perfect time really to, um, like I did back in college, to like really commit yourself and say, I'm going to start taking this time. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, you know, if you're very busy, even if you just have five minutes before you go to bed or when you first wake up in the morning to say, I'm going to take this time and I'm going to try to listen to God mm-hmm. and just allow him to speak to my heart. Yeah. I, yeah, I can definitely relate to a lot of what you said there. Um, and yeah, this finding silence within yourself is so difficult for me anyways. Yes. And yes. Yeah. And then just, yeah, I've been trying to get better at like praying even when I don't feel like it. Um, but yeah that can be hard at times but it's like the consistency like you said that's important yeah it's like the other relationships in our life like if you have um, kids it's like well I don't just take care of this kid when I feel like she's (laughs) and it's really the times when we don't feel like it that we have the greatest opportunity to show our love Mm -hmm. and it's the same in prayer so I you know if I sit there in an hour of prayer that's just dry and desolate and terrible Mm -hmm. from my perspective I can realize that like I had more opportunity to show God how much I love him in that hour mm-hmm. um, than I would have had if it was just overflowing with consolation. Yeah. So I can be yeah. thankful even for the time that's dry and difficult. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, an hour of prayer that's filled with so many distractions, which, which is so common, like my mind, you know, I'm thinking about, well, what's for dinner? You know, what homework do I have to do? Uh, why does this this other friar always make all these annoying sounds, you know, all these things that just like go through our mind when we're yeah. trying to pray. Um, they become opportunities to choose to turn my mind back to Jesus, to say, mm-hmm. Jesus, I love you. I'm here for you during this time. And I'm going to move, turn my mind, my heart back to you, my eyes back to gazing on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I can, so I could, at the end of the hour of prayer, I could be depressed and say, well, like, I was distracted a hundred times during that hour of prayer. Or I can say, uh, during that hour of prayer, I had a hundred, I made a hundred acts of love in choosing to turn my mm-hmm. eyes back to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And love really, it's a, it's a choice. And, um, even like, yeah, just Jesus on the cross, like choosing to love us, like love requires sacrifice. Yes. And, and yeah, it's very little that we're really asked to do. Exactly. <laughs> to right. be honest. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right. So, uh, would you have any piece of advice that you would give to somebody um, discerning religious life, maybe specifically like a um, community life or the Carmelites even? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess just to continue to to have the same point is that to make time for prayer and to listen to God and to ask God what he wants you to do with your life. I think that's really the essential thing when it comes to discerning a vocation in life, whether it's uh, called to religious life or to, um, no matter what we're called to in life, to be married or to be single. Um, and then another piece of advice, just I think something that I found very important in my own discernment is realizing the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary mm-hmm. in, in discernment, um, really as our mother. And in the in my time of discernment, I was never quite aware of Mary Mary's presence and her influence. Mm-hmm. But again, looking back, I was able to see at every kind of juncture in my life that Mary was there and made herself known to me, um, and was like like a good mother. Um, she, I mean, she was very silent in the background, but when I most needed her, she was there. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, really calling on her on her help to to draw us to her son, and um, yeah, I just think that's that's essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing all that with us. Mm-hmm. You have your final profession this summer, right? God willing, yeah. yes. God willing so, this summer. Yeah, we'll keep you in our prayers and everyone else. Uh, thank you. Praying for you too. Also, if you don't mind, I want to give a plug. To of course, yeah. My student brothers and I have, we have our own podcast. It's called Carmelcast. And you can find it on iTunes or YouTube or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And there we kind of talk more about our uh, our spiritual lives and particularly Carmelite spirituality. Our goal is really just to have to make uh, these spiritual conversations that we have in the monastery to to allow others to listen in and share in those conversations. So I encourage everyone if you're interested to to look it up. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely have a listen. So thank you so much, um, Thank and thanks to everybody for watching. God bless.